0: Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color.
1: This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life.
0: Okay. Good morning and welcome. Welcome. So we're going to be talking about some light stuff today and uh, basically talking about the nature of reality.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. Way to start off a Saturday morning. I know, right?
0: (laughs) With some light reading. Um, There's an article that we'll be posting um, in the show notes, and it is called, let me go back to Google, um, The Case Against Reality. Um, It's a professor of cognitive science, Donald Hoffman, um, and... So I just had Sarah read the article before, because especially since what the article's about, it made a lot more sense for, um, for us both to be working out of that instead of me explaining my perception of the article and then us talking <laughs> about that. Um, but he... Uh, so there's some things that I really agree with and there's some things that I find very troubling, right? Um, and I think the thing that I, that I really agree with, and this is one of those places that I think it's exciting to live in this time, right, where... Um, like, the, because of quantum physics, we are now in a space where the Western scientists are now uncovering what the mystics have always taught, right? So, mm. quant, quantum physics has these ideas about observer based reality and that things, like, not only behave depending on how we expect them to behave, right, when they're looking at particle theory, but That things don't even exist until we recognize them existing, right? So, that whole like if a bear, I mean, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one to hear it, doesn't make any sound, right? Right. Um, And the
1: answer in that case would be
0: no, I guess. Right. (laughs) Like, Although, like that's ignoring, but all if the other birds hear forest, the sound, right, or the, the other <laughs> trees or the grass, but anyway, so um, so we're like, but whatever, it's that kind of you know, right, it's right, that kind it's of that idea. sort
1: of yeah, sort of mind bending, totally of
0: stuff. right, because the
1: idea of traditional physics or Newtonian physics, yeah. I think they call it, is that um, that things are solid, that even though you can go to that very you know the level of the atoms and there's an atom and it's a thing and it exists and it's sort of this exists in the objective reality exactly that is independent of the observer
0: right that things exist in time and space and then that moves in this linear fashion right Right. and so quantum physics is showing us as the mystics have always taught that that is not true yeah right? and, and I
1: remember even when I learned science in high school that there is this theory and I forget now what it was called but that basically when you Observe something, you change it. That by doing an experiment, by trying to observe or measure something, you have to interact with it, which means you are changing it. And so now it is different than it was before you tried to observe it. Exactly. Right. And
0: so that's the observer bias that quantum, quantum physicists talk about. And... This is something that I think in general the scientific world is not really dealt with because it shoots at the very heart of scientific method. Well,
1: because the right? whole idea of science, well, at least it seems like it is, to to define objective reality and to say right. this is how things exist in the right, world. Which cer- yeah, exactly. Right, which is a massive assumption. These are certain right? <laughs> a
0: massive assumption which quantum physics is now disproving that you're 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 basing right like it's a logical fallacy to begin with right. right and then and then like of course like in high school science we were taught you're supposed to get this this theory together and have what you're going to be questioning and you go into your experiment to see what happens mm-hmm. but in the academic world you're supposed to already say what you think is going to happen Right. You don't get to walk in with your paper proposal (laughs) and have a question with no answer. They won't accept it. Right. They want to know what you think will happen. I remember that. So when I was in college, um, I was
1: um, on the yearbook staff with some journalism students. And one of the students told me that they taught her in class that when you interview somebody, you need to already know what your angle is. right? Right. So you have a story, you have an angle. And so then you ask questions to get the interviewer or the interviewee to say the things you want them to say in order to support the angle of your story. Yeah,
0: totally. And which
1: which blew me away because I thought that the point of reporting was that you go out in exploration of what's going on,
0: yeah, right?
1: And so that's how I would conduct interviews is just like very open-ended. Like, so tell me about this and and – you know like just educate me and because i want to know and then once i had interviewed them and figured out you know what they had to say on the topic then i would figure out what the angle was
0: right yeah totally like find the theme after yeah 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 No. Yeah. Not i didn't know no, that's what really, they did in science too yeah. no it is <laughs> like if you don't if, and you know like the hard sciences as well as sociological sciences or the, the soft sciences right? right so no you have to already know what you think you're gonna find and if you don't know what you think you're gonna find, then they won't accept the proposal. And if you do the experiments and don't find what you thought you were gonna find, then the experiment is often a considered a failure instead of like oh, well, this is gonna take me to a new place. Do you right. know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so there is Well, this... and
1: I think that's because the way the scientific method works is you're trying to prove a theory either right or wrong. So you have a hypothesis, right? And then you're conducting an experiment to determine whether or not that hypothesis is true. So the answers are yes or no. Right? <laughs> right. Either you're the hypothesis is correct or your hypothesis is not correct and of course what often happens when people really conduct experiments is they is get there's an asteroid well <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's like there was some result but it wasn't scientifically significant or then this other thing happened and we're not sure where the heck that came from you know right
0: totally <laughs> so um in the the book the black swan by um Nicholas Taleb I'm writing this down so I remember to Put it in the show notes. Um, he is an economist, and he talks about he talks about this specifically, right? That um, these things that we see as these major, like, whoa, where would that come from? Right? Um, it, it's because we're not looking at the right data, mm. right? The things that we see as scientifically insignificant, right? Like we're looking in main lines and we're not paying attention to the pattern of the out the outliers. And that's why this stuff slams us from Hmm. the side. But if you're watching the right data, right, or you're watching data in the right way, then you can see that stuff coming. Yeah. Right. And I've noticed
1: that with, as a business owner, looking at like your finances, for instance, that depending, or, you know, your sales figures or whatever, the, you know, the kind of data that is used in business, that you can draw very different conclusions depending on how you slice and dice the data, depending on what data you're looking at, How you're averaging it out or summarizing, you know what time period, uh, what time span you're looking at the data, you can you can come to very different conclusions depending on how you are observing things.
0: No, very very true, and I think and seeing what you're what you're connecting things to. Right. right. So this is something. And oh, that,
1: this data is an indication of
0: X. Right. If you're looking at like things separated in little lines as opposed to an overall picture. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at line item things and saying, oh, well, we don't make any money on that, so why do we carry it? Right. Mm-hmm. That might be the thing that gets people into the store, and right. while they're there, they pick up other stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> like, and so if you get rid of the thing that, that got is them the store in. in the first place. Like, okay, so you saved $0.03 per item there, but you've lost $25 in sales. Right. Because that was the thing that got people in the door, right? right. Like yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people aren't analyzing in a more holistic way this way, right? But, um, so, yeah, so he, so... Um,
1: so going back to the article.
0: I know, right? <laughs> um, as we, like, talk on our vine here. Um, so Hoffman, I was trying to remember his name. So Hoffman um, talks about how... Um, he talks about this nature of reality, right, based on quantum physics. And then one of the things that he says that I think is really, that I totally agree with, and that I'd like to see more people wake up to, um, <laughs> is this idea that neuroscience as it is, is staying in this Newtonian, this new, like, they're, they're saying, they're, no, we don't we don't want the quantum physics. Like, we'll stay with our Newtonian They're physics. trying
1: to use that underlying physics model to understand brain and right, how the brain exactly. works. exactly.
0: And refusing to to move into the new data that we know is there right right so and i think this that is would true be if, really
1: complex and difficult I, right we have go. to rework all right. our theories and
0: lay <laughs> down our dogma oh god and you i know.
1: love you know he uses a, an analogy in there that i think is so excellent yeah. which is of the desktop the computer desktop so if you think about when you open up your computer and you look at the desktop you have these icons and the different icons um, you can click on them and they do certain things. Um, but what is really going on underneath the surface of that interface that you're interacting with is there's databases, there's, um, you know, all all this, it, it's like in the beginning when people there's first. There's not
0: little tiny blue files right. inside my computer. There's not. Up. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's like, I remember when I first started, um, when I first got access to the internet and I wanted to learn how to make web pages. And we had to, they're like, well, you have to learn how to code in HTML. And I was like, what? How come there's not something like, you know, InDesign that can, you know, where you just see the things and you drag and drop and you know select your colors and stuff like that. I was used to that sort of interface in graphic design and now they have that for web design and now they have that sort of thing for apps and so there's, there's always those interfaces that are used to make things user friendly when what's going on behind the scenes is a lot more complex and really all computer functions really boil down to ones and zeros. On and off, turning circuits on and off, right, which is so far removed
0: from what we think is happening, right.
1: Well, we're oh, right. I'm moving this file into this folder, or I'm, you know. Well, and it's interesting
0: too, right, because you have like a relatively simple interface with more complex things happening behind. But if you continue to dig past those layers of complexity, you come back to the simplest of simples, which is on ones and, and zeros, right. on and off. Yeah. Like
1: (laughs) (laughs) But in these sort of infinitely different ways of combining. Yeah. On and off. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's really. So so I kind
1: of felt like when he used that analogy, I was like, Oh, okay, so that's kind of The same thing is going on with our perception of reality. There's the interface, which is all the things that we hear and see. You know, this table feels solid to me, but really more
0: solid than my last table. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But really, like there, there's holes in all the matter. That's why like X rays work is because the the particles are you know going through some of your parts of your body and and bouncing off of others. You know, and and so there's uh. So there's those different levels of there our perception of reality. And then there's once you get smaller and smaller, it's different. It looks different.
0: Yeah, totally. So he talks about how, like, there is no objective reality. It's just a collection of first person subjective realities, right, that we can agree with each other on to a point. Right. Right. Um, but there is no objective physical reality out there that everything in the world we're experiencing it through our brain's best interpretation of whatever stimuli we're getting, right right like That's his basic his basic idea, and which I totally agree with and exciting. I love being able to have these like mystical conversations <laughs> with like, very grounded in science sort of right? Like, Uh um, and one of my friends, Erin, like she calls herself a rational mystic, which I just think is the coolest thing ever, right? Like, (laughs) So, so, uh, so I love that we're in this place where we can use different vocabularies and languages basically to talk about the same thing now, do you know what I mean? Um, but one of the things that I found a little more sticky and troubling, so like the first day that I read this article, I was in this like blue mood, um, trying to sort through this, uh when he's talking about how evolution, if we're looking at um, uh, Darwin's um, evolution of the species by natural selection, right? Yeah. If we're looking at evolution, then evolution is being driven by fitness. Right. And so people who are truth seekers, um, like because, so his idea is because evolution is driven by fitness those that are truth seekers will always be on the brink of extinction, if not go totally into extinction. So by
1: fitness, you mean like physical fitness. So he's
0: talking about, yeah, physical fitness, right? So, and at the beginning of the article, he talks about how like someone who is geared towards seeking truth Mm -hmm. versus someone who is geared towards seeking physical fitness, right? That's their main concern is physical fitness, that a truth seeker will never be as fit as someone who is a fitness seeker. Hmm. Right? So, um... Well,
1: and- I wonder if if we have to look at how we're defining the word truth. Because usually when people say truth, they're talking about some sort of objective third-person reality. Well, I think
0: he's talking about, like, getting behind the interface. Do you know what I mean? Like, but, I, but the thing that really troubles me is this idea... And it, I think the thing that I had to kind of work through... Um, because he says it in very, it's really funny, right? Like the rest of the article, there's all this. There is no objective reality. Like you know, everything's right. like floating. It's a and oh, by the way, the strong
1: will over, always overpower but he the weak. Is it that out with
0: like never will a truth seeker have the same level of fitness or be more fit than a fitness seeker, right? Mm. So if we're going by sort of Darwinian evolution ideas right. then the fitness seeker like the brutes I, will always overpower i see what he's
1: saying there and i think so i've seen this in like like in political discussions and stuff so let's say there's some issue like social security what should we do with our social security system so what politicians will do is they'll try to put their position in a soundbite, right like oh i'm for it for this for doing this for this reason and and what happens is in order to put it into a soundbite, you have to oversimplify. And so, when you have these really complex problems where there's right. a lot going on, and there's a, it's like, well, we could do this, but then that would have this side effects, or or we could do that, but then there's this complication, and then this contingent wouldn't be happy. And you know, when you have these kind of things where, you know, a truth seeker right. who can look at all those nuances and go, wow, this is a really tough problem that we have to unravel here. That right. person, is, that person it, is at a disadvantage. Someone else
0: whacks them over their over head and the, runs off with the right, money. Right.
1: <laughs> over the, tr- the trumps of the world who come in with their very simple we should just kick these people out. You know? Like right. that's so simple and so easy for people to understand and to get behind. It's a lot harder to get behind someone who's like, well, let me explain to you why yeah. this is a complicated situation. Like I think when was it John Kerry ran for president? Like, he would try to, like, explain things to people. And, like, he just... It, it was boring. It really was. It was so boring. And I felt bad that I was so bored by it because I knew what he was saying was really important. But, like... I just, that was when I became aware of this thing of, yeah, there is. Or
0: maybe he's just a bad explainer. Maybe, right? yeah. I've he, always said that, like, didn't the really have the gift good gift teachers of... are the ones that can boil very complex things down. Right. Right? Like, I, kindergarten teachers are the real geniuses. Like, right. forget the PhD people <laughs> presenting at conferences. Like, no, a kindergarten teacher that can, like, explain the nature of reality and the importance of compassion to her five-year-olds.
1: Right, yes. Yeah, no, this, yeah. Is,
0: the, this is the genius. This yeah. is the master. No, totally. And so, so
1: I, yeah, and, and that's, I so think that's a good, a good point good that that's yeah. where, you know, yeah, it's like, well, if you have a truth seeker who can do that, who can take right. something complex and then give people a way to understand it, that is accessible. And that's right. why we have metaphors. And that's why I love that metaphor of the of desktop, the right, yeah, of the totally, interface to try and understand totally. what he was saying. Well, and
0: like, so him saying like, and Charlene and I had the conversation about this a couple of days ago. So it helped me kind of climb out of the funk that it put me in, right? Because this idea of like, okay, this is doomed. the driver Right. right. <laughs> so I'm like, well, why am I here? Like if, if this planet is always gonna wipe out the truth seekers mm-hmm. and prefers to live, right? Like if the if the set point is gonna be like survival. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> like brute idiocy. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like well if that's gonna be the set point then what in the world I know count me out of this game right exactly yeah sign up for this again I know know and I I thought
1: about that too you know and and I think you know for me I was real it was realizing there's a difference between survival and living right and and I think we probably talked about that before that you know evolution the purpose of evolution is for the species to survive physically it doesn't care it doesn't matter what the condition of that life or, you right. know, is, it's just propagating the species. And so from, so there's a limit, right? As far as what evolutionary, evolution is a tool that is for that specific thing, and that's as far as it goes. And then there's, I see that there's evolution on a different level, which is culturally, intellectually, um, you know, in terms emotionally, of- Emotionally, spiritually. Right, emotionally, spiritual, yeah. exactly. And, and that kind of
0: like calls back to the story that we- <laughs> that we worked with on the last episode, right, of this, this evolution from one world to the next, right? Right. That when they first came oh, into yeah. that new world, like, it was so much better than the last world, and there was all <laughs> this room to breathe, and, you know, yeah. it was, like, really fantastic, but then they got to a place where that was too constrictive, Right? And it was and time it was, for the next. And it wasn't working yeah. for them anymore. So they climbed to the next world. Right, And we've so,
1: been, yeah. And people go through that in their lives too. No, where, totally. a, You know, like certain jobs. Like I remember once, a couple of years ago, I got this temp job and someone was like, do you like it? And I'm like, you know, if I had gotten this job 10 years ago in my career, it would have been perfect and I would have loved it. But I've outgrown that, you know, that's yeah. no longer challenging for me. And so there's, you know, there's, there's survival on the physical level, but then there's ho- this whole other range of possibility right. for evolution um, psychologically.
0: No, totally. And so that was the thing that um, Charlene and I had talked about that I had started working towards that has helped me sort of like flip this around, right? Seriously, this article would be <laughs> a funk. Because it is talking
1: funk. about physics, right? It's right. talking about the physical world.
0: Right, right, right. So it really put me in a funk. And um, and these sort of absolutist terms that he's using, especially since the rest Never. of the- Never. Right. <laughs> the rest of the Always. article is so, like, you know. Um, so it really got me in this funk. And it's like, yes, while it is true that up to this point in our evolution, physical fitness has been the thing that's driven things, mm-hmm. right? And actually, Darwin had several different theories on how the physical is driving that, uh-huh. right? Um, uh, the one that we know is the one that Victorian England could swallow at the time, but there were there were others, <laughs> oh, and so really? yeah. So one of them was that it was driven by mate selection, which means that women are driving it.
1: Oh right,
0: way oh, too upsetting for Victorian society. <laughs> way too upsetting that not only that women are driving evolution, but they're driving it through their mate selection, right? Right, Which is that like, makes
1: sense. Yeah.
0: No, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, uh, so yeah, people just couldn't deal with that. So we got that survival was like
1: conveniently yeah. left out. Yeah, right. So we got <laughs> survival of the
0: fittest instead of driving through mate selection. And I think, oh, now that I think about it, like if we were looking at at instead of survival of the fittest, which he saw as not being as robust a theory. Right. But it's the right. one society could swallow. So well, the it involves strength.
1: Right. So it gives right. men so an edge. Right. So we're right. going to do this great strength <laughs>
0: thing. But instead that it's that it's mate selection, which is driven by females. And and, you know, like looking at all these different um, species in nature. Right. Like mm-hmm. the males tend to be the more colorful. Right, and so to the, attract a mate, exactly, and so <laughs> they show the, off. Since the <laughs> since the females l- largely are in charge, I mean, they're certainly going to be carrying babies, whether that's right. eggs or whatever. Um, and depending on the species, may even be mostly in charge of the young's care. Uh-huh. Like obviously, choosing a mate that's going to be helpful in that is very important. It's really important, yeah. right? Like so, when we're looking at if we look at evolution from that perspective. Then it makes it a little bit easier to see, like, oh, no. Then it is driven through, like, emotional evolution, right? That if women are like, you know what? I don't need someone to, like, kill saber tooth tigers for you anymore. Right. I need someone that's going to be, like, emotionally supportive in the house. Right. I need someone that's going to help me, like, like, not only manage all these day-to-day minutia of raising children, mm-hmm. right, but it's going to carry that emotional burden with me. Right. When our child is and facing that's the, some kind of crisis yeah. or, and not just be like you know my solution to this is to like beat you into submission right. well and, or throw you out of the house or you comply to my will do you know what i mean right like,
1: and there's a lot of if you look at what you know what sort of factors lead to reproduction there are many many different factors right so there's oh he's good looking and strong there's like you said he's emotionally available he's supportive there are, um, you know, there are many different criteria and what can happen is that, that as a, or not as a society but whatever, globally, that lots of different um, characteristics can be selected for, you know, right. and sometimes they're opposing opposing characteristics or it seems like they are. So it's not like this really clear cut process mm. that sometimes it's made out to be. And the other thing too that I I don't think that the human species physically has really evolved in the last 10,000 years. Right. Has it? I mean, aren't Homo sapiens today physically pretty much the same as Homo sapiens from several thousand years ago? Um, in which case, I think we have to look and go, uh, maybe we've reached the top level. <laughs> well, actually, and when then now to, you know, like,
0: when it comes to the neuroscience, right? And Hoffman mm-hmm. talks about this in the article, his frustration with, other neuroscientists refusing to work quantum physics findings through their theories, right? Mm-hmm. and saying, no, we're going to be 300 years behind the stick in Newtonian physics. Thank you very much. Um, one of the things that I know some sort of like that place where like evolutionary biological science and neuroscience begin to meet, right? Is that there's all this capacity in our minds that we haven't touched and yet we're still carrying it around, Right. It hasn't been called by evolution, even though we're not using it. Right. Because a lot of this evolutionary genetic theory is that if we don't use things, they drop off. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But there is this amazing amount of capacity in our minds that we don't use that haven't dropped off.
1: Oh, I thought that was like a urban myth or something that we really do use all of our. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Because
0: my yeah. indicators is that most people don't. Because some people... <laughs> well, but, well, and I
1: guess it depends on if you're talking physically or psychologically. Because I know someone... I had read something where a doctor was like, well, if we're not using large parts of our brain, then how can when you can't just like do without parts of your brain, you know, if you get brain damage or something? Which, you know, I think makes sense. But, I, but there's... You know, the thing about the brain is it's very flexible. And it can be... It, you know it can be used like play you can form it into many different things and so in terms of how you use it and how you think and you know so much of our lives is really lived inside of our own heads really all of it yeah right which this kind of article kind of argues is that everything's happening inside our own heads and and that it's very changeable it's you know we can you know it's not as hard and fast as we think it is right
0: but I think, like, generally speaking, people don't move beyond that interface, right? If we're again, right. using that metaphor of the desktop. Yeah. Like, most people aren't moving past that interface. They're
1: not upgrading their interface.
0: Exactly. Because <laughs>
1: I think you're, there's always going to be an downloading, interface. downloading,
0: downloading program updates and doing you know it. Mean? Yeah. And, and like Marianne Williamson talks about that too, right? Like. Um, and which we've we've talked about on the show and I think we've put the clip up in, in show notes before Marianne Williamson talking it's a clip with her in an interview with Oprah Winfrey, and if you do forgiveness, Marianne Williamson and Oprah, it comes up. But she's also talking about divine compensation in that. And she's talking about how like if something is ours, right, and it appears that someone else has intercepted that and taken away something that was meant to be ours, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That the only thing that can really block it is our own anger and resentment that keeps the door shut from that coming back around in a different way, right? Like, and her, she also used a desktop metaphor that it's like, if it's ours, it's already downloaded onto our computer. You know, like the file is there. Mm -hmm. We have to download it and open it, right? So the file is already there. The file is set up in the in the collective consciousness or whatever, right, that's designated for us. It's our file, but we have to download it mm-hmm. and then open it and run it, right? So right. if we're not downloading and opening. So if it seems that someone's come in and, like, intercepted something, it's supposed to be mine. That was my job. That was my man. That was my, you right. know, whatever. Like, if we feel like someone's It's realizing there's, something there's always us,
1: something more. That the I universe think. has...
0: Yeah infinite ways of getting this to you yeah and it's like the, oh
1: that didn't work out okay we'll just get that to you a different way exactly right yeah but
0: we can block it because we shut the door to that because we think that's the only way we could have gotten it exactly right yes. so then we shut the door through our anger our resentment our lack of forgiveness our yeah. right like so so we can't we're the ones that shut it off this other person can't really intercept it right Right. they can like run off with because there's plenty for
1: everyone anyway (laughs) so it's it's gonna come back to
0: another place right yeah If if we're open to that so that same idea with the interface so I think that like um that most people don't look beyond the interface right right yeah and that used and I think it's getting like it used to be that religion could be a tool for that mm-hmm. right and i'm a textualist so i'm looking at the texts that we have from these from these masters that can't and all of those texts are pointing us behind the interface right Yeah. all of those texts can be read in an incredibly mystical way yeah. right um saying there's more than what you're seeing on the surface totally. and i think
1: that is the important thing that um, one of the important things that I got out of this article is to understand that there is an interface and then there's the stuff going on beyond the interface and that you don't necessarily need to, just like to use a computer, you don't need to become a computer programmer, but it's helpful to understand that there is, that there are programs, that there is stuff going on so that when... Your desktop isn't working right.
0: Exactly.
1: Right. You know, exactly. you could you could take it to be repaired. You understand that. You and know, you get there's- to a
0: place where you can fix some things yourself. Right. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. instead of every time something, I mean, I've got tech support in the house with me, so. Don't- <laughs> A little bit easier. <laughs> but, you know, like if I didn't, it, and still even having tech support in the house, like I don't want to have my whole day stop at one o'clock because I have to wait until seven when Jason comes home right. to look at something for me, right? Yeah. Like I want to know some basic troubleshooting fixes to try yeah. to figure this stuff out. And I think it's the same kind of idea, right? Like just knowing yeah. here's kind of what's going on behind this, you know? Mm-hmm. And like Brene Brown, but, but like Brene Brown talks about, like we're, we're in the space where we want certainty, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're avoiding vulnerability. And and we've turned religion into that too, right? Yeah. It's no longer... People don't see it as... Exploring like, the
1: mystical. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, as you know, a it's... system
0: of <laughs> inquiry that points behind the interface. Yeah. Right? Um, and seeing all systems of inquiries being valid and having their strengths and their weaknesses. Do you know what I mean? Right. But instead, like... This This is is the one true God.
1: This is the way the world was created. Yeah, we want the certainty. It has to be
0: that objective third-person
1: reality. Right,
0: which is like when we're looking at this within the findings of quantum, right, then we know like you're setting yourself up at that space. Once it's like... This is the only way that it you're is. You're setting
1: yourself up to worship the interface basically. Exactly. Instead totally or a different avoid interface, yeah.
0: The actual purpose of that or looking right. So right. so then you are in this space where if anything fizzes on your screen, you're then- screwed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so coming off of that wonderful discussion We wanted to dive into the question of what does evolution look like in the centuries to come? And are we, you know, there's that saying that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat in. Uh, You know, are we just going to keep repeating our history or are we actually on the brink of something new? Something new. right?
0: totally. This idea of like, okay, well, just because that's how it has been driven in the past does not mean that's how it will be driven in the future. Yeah. Right. And And I've heard
1: these analogies of like, you know, the fall of Rome and other empires and, you know, is America, you know, about to go in that same direction? It does kind of feel like we're on a knife edge where it could go either way. Right. We could just think everything falls and gets destroyed and build up as something new, or it could be like, no, this is where we actually make the leap into right a a higher way of living
0: well and i wonder too if um because you know like us no longer being the major superpower is not the end of the world right right? there are lots of other (laughs) empires that have fallen and the countries continue to exist yeah um so i think that's an ego concern right Right. so we really need to like watch that but but um you know and 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 would we want to remain the superpower if having if if that kept us locked in a space of physical brute domination right versus evolving to a new place where we're we're all looking for emotion right we're looking for like emotional evolution or Mm -hmm. spiritual evolution and when i say spiritual evolution i don't i'm not attaching that to like traditions, religions. right? right. Um, but for me, spiritual is asking big questions, right? right. Looking behind the interface, like that's exactly. what spiritual means to me is is looking behind the interface, right? So, um, yeah, like, uh, and 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 just because we've been, yeah, like just because we've been doing it that way doesn't mean that we will continue to do it that way. So, what does it look like if we're evolving? emotionally or spiritual spiritually yeah. versus having that physical fitness and survival of the fittest being the things that that dominate how we are how we move and how we like yeah organize society you know
1: i am reading this book right now called the mastery of self um by Don Miguel ruiz jr and he's the one who wrote um the five levels of attachment which we had talked about previously and then his father wrote the four agreements right, which are both okay. like excellent books and so um they both come from the toltec tradition which um says that life is actually a dream that it's sort of not real right and and there's this great analogy at the beginning of the book where he's like imagine this scenario where you're at a party and there's a bunch of other people lots and lots of other people at this party and they're all in various levels of intoxication. And so some of them are like the happy drunks and some of them are brooding. And and then you get this like drama that happens where somebody gets upset and then somebody reacts to that. And and everyone there is like taking it really seriously. And and um, you know, but the dramas come and go, and you're you're like the only one at the party who's aware that like it's just a party and everybody's drunk and all of this drama doesn't really mean anything. And, and so I just thought it was a great analogy. And I think he
0: talked about, (laughs) he did make a reference to this at celebrate your life this year. And he was talking about like being at the party and like, not wanting other people to see that you're not drunk. Right. Right? Because the norm is to be drunk. Right. So, like, And
1: everyone just assumes that you're drunk, too. That's one of the things that was in right. the story. And yeah. so you're, like,
0: walking around <laughs> with this cocktail in your hand, and you're trying to, like take enough sips of it to look like you blend in, (laughs) but you don't want to like have it affect you and like how that whole thing like deals, you know, like your, your interface with the party. And as someone
1: who has been like the only sober person among a (laughs) bunch of drunks, I can relate to that. This is something you could totally relate to. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so I think for me, you know, going to that question of what's, you know, what is this next level of evolution looks like? I think the first part of it is realizing, uh, So depending on your analogy, what we talked about earlier, looking behind the interface, understanding there is something behind the interface or realizing that it's a dream or, you know, that people are drunk. Right. It's that that, it's that realization that there's what we see and experience, but that there's more behind that. And if people I I think for a lot of people, that's the first step is just Mm. waking up to the idea that there is more than what you're physically experiencing. And that that doesn't invalidate what you're experiencing physically. Because I think sometimes there's sort of this, it's made out like there's this choice. You can either be spiritual and believe in magic and mysticism and God and what have you, or you can believe in science and what's real. (laughs) But as we just said in our previous discussion, (laughs) there's no such thing as what's real from this objective perspective. It really is all each person's perception and that is reality and it's very um you know it's different for everybody and so if we can start by realizing that reality is a lot more flexible
0: right then we
1: assumed that it is and i think this is one of the sort of up markers so much
0: of our evolution too right because this sort of brutish um physically uh oriented evolutionary path, right? Like also seems to like, and, and the patriarchy, like this is very, it's all about the mind, right? Like it's logically oriented. Two mm. things cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Like, right. This kind of idea. And, um, and so we do get into these places where there's a lot of drama and we end up losing a lot of energy and time because we think, well, is it this or is it that? Right. That's an Instead of or. both and. Yeah. Right. And, Like, logic has a hard time putting two things into the same box. Like,
1: Yeah. Well, it can't be this and that. Right, exactly. (laughs) Now, one of
0: these has to fit in that box, but they can't both fit in the box. But the heart doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right? Like, you can have, quote, unquote, conflicting emotions. Yeah. The heart is certainly large enough to, to, to hold both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Right? And to get away from wanting to make it mean something. Other than the fact that you're human and complex, right, right, and
1: I think everybody can relate to this because we've all had those. Well, I'm assuming we've all had those experiences <laughs> where, like, um, you have a decision to make, or you're wondering how to interpret, you know, something that happened. And you have one voice that goes, oh, you know, that person said that because they don't like you. And then another voice goes, well, maybe they're just having a hard day. And and so you're, you know, you have or, you know, I want this thing. Oh, no, you shouldn't want that. Wait, yes, you should want that. And, there, you know, I mean, right. haven't, I think most of us have experienced this, right. at least from when I've talked to people that, you know, you have these conflicting ideas and thoughts and... um. Yeah, it's just we're complex.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and it's accepting that and going, oh, I'm a complex creature. And I think that's something you, you had a, a breakthrough with that, too. I did have yeah. a breakthrough with that. Yeah,
0: I was. Um, and often when I'm journaling, I, I use different colors, right, to sort of. Indicate this inner dialogue, right? Like each voice gets their own color. Each voice gets their own color. And so that way I can see very clearly (laughs) who's who's talking. (laughs) Right. So when I it helps me sort it out in the moment, but then when I'm reading through things too, it makes it very clear, right? Um and has me sort of pause and drink their um their statements in a little more slowly as opposed to all being one thought process or something, right? Right. Um, but uh and having grown up in a household with like narcissistic alcoholics, right? This was something that happened to me quite a bit that, that some aspect of my being or some thought that ran through my head or whatever, like that would be held against me. And I would be, how dare you think that I would be painted in that whole thing. Right? So if a thought had occurred to me after something happened, then, Oh, well that was, that now became my, my sole motivation. (laughs) <laughs> for whatever. Right. right. As though there so, could be only one. Right. So, and as if something that occurs to me afterwards means that's what I was subconsciously thinking all the time and it was driving me. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff is the stuff that happened to me all the time as a kid. And, um, so it, it, it has taken decades to get to a space where, um, that part, that predatory, that predator, that inner predator wants to, Um, paint me with these nasty strokes all the time, right? Like, So um, the predator jumped up and was like, oh, but you did think this or whatever it it jumped up and said. And I was like, you know what? No, you will not hold my complexity against me. I will not allow you to do that, right? I'm a very complex creature. There's all kinds of things going on here. There's multiple motivations, and you are not going to hold that against me. You're not going to hold that over my head and and judge me i'm not going to allow you to judge me with that i'm not going to allow you to reduce me to that i'm not right yeah and
1: that's why you know our early some of our earliest episodes on this podcast we're talking about the importance of setting aside judgment and blame and shame and just how damaging that is because that really um it is denying your complexity it's saying you only you're like this Period. Right. End of story. You're this kind of person because right. you thought that, you know. And if we can accept that we are complex beings with multiple motivations and and that we can feel and think about a cer- certain situation in multiple ways. I mean, I know I've been in situations where, like, I'm happy that happened and I'm sad that that happened and I have all these mixed feelings about it. You know, that is really you know, that's very human. And if we can accept that and go, Oh, that's just how I am because I'm human, as opposed to there's something wrong with me. Um, you know, it, it opens up. Yeah. So I think that's the other big thing. So seeing behind the interface and then also, um, releasing, getting out of that habit of, of judgment, and blame right, and I think so like huge. one
0: of those, and that's the doorway into the heart, right? right? Because the judgment and the blame keeps us out of the heart. And so moving those sort of like uh, mm. portal demons, if you will, right. out of the way, right? Because the, the logical mind
1: of, says there's a right way and a wrong way. And if
0: you didn't right. do it the right way, exactly, you're bad. So that keeps us out of the heart. And um and the sort of idea that, uh, you know, as you level, move through different levels, that there's... Like portal demons, right? These sort of like boogeymen that stand on either side of the portal and are like, right, like try to scare you away from walking through the door. And then once you get through the door, you realize, oh, I don't know why I was ever scared of them. This is (laughs) not that bad, you know. So yeah, um, but I think like Like
1: your emotions are going to be
0: so scary if you go in there with (laughs) (laughs) them. Yeah, like I'm going to fall off the edge and it all the world is over. And what I
1: found is that actually the great thing about embracing your emotions is that even when they're really intense, they always pass. Yeah. You know, it's like you get to, you experience them and the wave passes. Yeah. And then you don't feel that way anymore, you know? Whereas if you're avoiding feeling it, then that's what drives everything. Then it's like with you forever on, you know, sort of in this box that's always kind of rattling going, (laughs) stowaways under the
0: ship that are actually moving the rudder. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And so like this idea, I was thinking about this too with, um, The stuff that is happening in Aleppo right now, right? Like, Mm. really, really horrific.
1: The massacres and stuff. That's happening, right?
0: So we've got, like, Russian planes that are bombing, and Assad's people are moving in and closing down, like, the last rebel-held sections of the city and this kind of stuff. Um, Really, really horrific. And so sitting in that space... um, And I had had dreams of running through city streets all night and then woke up and read these articles, right? So, like, it really hit me hard on Wednesday. Um, And um, so I I spent some time in front of my altar, like, trying to allow this or see where I needed to be with it, right? Um, And thinking again on this idea of how we're moving forward with this, like... Because I, I, I it felt useless to pray for their physical safety right mm. It felt useless to pray for their physical safety and so there's so many that are dead and then the ones that are that are living like how do you how do you get through the other side of something like this right mm-hmm. like this is one of the things that if you really feel into will definitely have you on the floor in a puddle of tears right like, and and also wakes up this wonder about humans right that anybody, right can go through that kind of experience and ever love again or trust again or get on with anything that looks like an actual life with a capital L as opposed to continuing to draw air with their lungs and physically survive, but be dying, be dead on the inside. Right? Like how, how do you not, how do you not die in that moment, whether or not your body continues forward? Do you see what I'm saying? And so like when we're thinking about physical survival, then then we think about strength we think about armors of protection we think about hardening right mm-hmm. like a bomb shelter is is hard <laughs> you know it 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 resists anything that comes at it whereas if so so it's like moving my prayer to like keep their hearts alive mm-hmm. right and then realizing what that meant for their heart to survive, for their heart to be alive and recognizing that, that rather than like the armoring of the heart is not what's going to keep the heart alive. Mm. Right. The armoring of the heart is what kills the heart actually. And so it cuts it off. Yeah. Right. Right. So then you can't have that communion anymore. You're shut down from that. That's when you turn, you're in a cell at that point. Right. So like really, feeling into that and that being my prayer for those that have survived aleppo right is that that their hearts would 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 heal and recover from this and that their hearts would stay alive right um and and what does that look like and what does that mean do you know what i mean like if we um if we if that's what we're pushing for, if that's what we're praying for, if that's what we're striving for, then how does that shift how we deal with tragedy? How does that shift how we come through really intense, like living nightmares, mm-hmm. you know, like what's happening there? Um And it was painful. Yeah. (laughs) You know, just to send the prayer out was painful. Because it means
1: you have to acknowledge that suffering and you have to think about it and feel it. And yeah. And the instinct, of course, our our physical instinct is to avoid pain and to turn away from that. And, and, um, you know, I think often, especially in the Western world, you know, we're accused of not caring and turning a blind eye to suffering in other parts of the world and you know that is often just a natural response to we don't it's bad enough they're suffering you know we don't want to suffer along with them Mm -hmm. um but again that's something that by allowing ourselves to feel even a touch of that it puts us in connection with people
0: who are far away from us right right and like to to really feel into what that feels like right because the the most powerful prayers or intentions are the ones that have the emotion behind it yeah right so to feel that that fear that ptsd that you know what i mean like all the things are going to happen when your apartment building crumbled behind you as you ran out the door, like Mm -hmm. um, clutching your little sister and hearing bombs go off in the background. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, like the way that that would set into the heart and shield that off and to, to, to pull in and feel that and push through the darkness and the crumbling and the concrete pain to make the heart a beating soft thing again. Right? Like, the only way we can do that is to go into it. You can't, you can't get it beating again if you're standing on the outside. Right? Um, and I just recently reread um, Beloved from Toni Morrison.
1: I haven't read that one.
0: I had read it in my undergrad. Um, and then, you know, Oprah Winfrey starred in, in a movie that they did about it, okay. um, which is beautiful and, um, and hard to find. So I bought a, co- I have a copy of that. Um, so I had read it in my undergrad. I've seen the movie several times because I, sh- you know, would show it to students and things like this. Um, but I hadn't read the book since what's it about undergrad. I mean, it's really about, um, liberating yourself from slavery. Right. I mean, that's like the, the ultimate theme of the book. Literally, figuratively, or both? Both, Both. okay. Um, It's set in, you know, the mid-1800s, and there's a woman that, um, Setha, that has escaped a plantation and gone to her mother-in-law's house in Ohio, right? Um, And, um, yeah, I don't want to do too many spoilers or whatever, (laughs) because there's some, there's, it's, it's also kind of like a ghost story, Right. Okay. Um, but it's. I mean, it's. It's so good. And Toni Morrison. This is a woman that is not afraid of the human shadow. Right. Like okay. she goes all the way <laughs> she in can get and a through. Dark. Yeah. Totally. She goes all the way in and through. And because of that, um, I find her work particularly helpful and useful. Right. Because it's. Um, because she's not afraid she's of not afraid shadow. to go she, there. She, she, yeah. she, she takes you all the way in. Um. So. Uh, my brother-in-law actually uh, when we saw each other at a family wedding in November had said that he had just finished rereading this. And there's this paragraph when the daughter Denver goes out to look for help. Right. And she meets this woman at the door and there's this um, there's this love and attention and care and compassion that's given to her in that moment that has been so absent mm. right throughout the book and, um, that uh he he said it it, it said it, for him it was like one of the most transcendent experiences that he's ever had right like mm-hmm. as a piece just this one paragraph right um and so it had i was like oh i gotta go back and reread that Do yeah you know what i mean so so i did and um crud i just lost my train of thought where was i going
1: I don't know. <laughs> we were well, we were talking about the stuff with Aleppo, right? And and softening the heart and, and as opposed to hardening it and um Yeah.
0: I had something to do with Beloved.
1: <laughs> so while you're anyway, thinking of it, so uh, I was reminded of this movie that you and I have both seen and you brought it up earlier before we started recording, which is um Life is Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Which
1: is a movie and it is about so it's interesting, there's like two, the movie's sort of in two halves. There's like part one and part two. Part one is this man and this woman meeting and falling in love. So it's this really like, lighthearted, hearted like romantic comedy kind of thing to start out with. And then the second part, and then they have this little boy, and then um, they get taken to a concentration camp. And the dad tells his little boy that this is just a game. And that they're they have to like do these challenges to win, and there's a prize at the end, and and um, it's just it's it's so interesting because it's like it's funny and tragic and horrific at the same time. Like it, it's, so it's just human. a, it's such a yeah,
0: exquisitely it's
1: that- <laughs> human film. right, and it's yeah, it's a perfect example of what we we're talking earlier about the complexity and how it's life is this and this and this and it. It, yeah it's just it's beautiful and it's horrible all at the same time and um it really I can't describe it any more than that like
0: Such you just have to, you really have to go watch <laughs> uh, it I yeah but, and um yeah I I had been thinking about that movie lately um mm-hmm. I felt like it was it would be like like an immunity booster <laughs> <laughs> in this time that we're moving in like okay you know if we've got like the right frame to view this through, mm-hmm. then, then, then we can shift this into the place that so many of us want to get to, right? Yeah. That sort of burning vision in the heart of that space where people are honored for who they are on the inside, mm-hmm. right? And people are given opportunities based on the, you know, that we're free to express our Talents fully and to live in that space, right? Like that—that that dream of America, right—is um, I think what burns in every heart that that wakes up, right? It's something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a dream that I see through every religion. It's a right, like. Um, but I think we have to. Um, it's really important for us to hold. We have to find that vision and hold on to it now. Yeah. Right. Like there are going to be things that come crashing through that try to rip that out and say like, no, our version of reality is the real reality. Right.
1: That's a fantasy. And here's reality, which is much darker and tougher. Yeah. yeah. So
0: like you either capitulate to our cynical darkness or, you know, we'll kill you. And part
1: of the that, you know, that complex complexity of humanity is realizing that you can hold a dream and a vision of how things are, how you want things to be in the future, and at the same time deal with
0: what is real. Well, I think it's navigating to get to that space, right? Like if you don't if you don't continue to hold where you're going, how are you going to navigate to that space? Right. Right? And
1: And that's all happening in your head too. Yeah. And something we talked about, you know, earlier before we started recording is that existence is basically just right now it's the experiences experiences that we're having in the moment and the past and the future only exist in your head right and so if we keep that in mind you know kind of going back to you know how do we evolve to that next level i think being aware that that so much of our reality is created from inside our heads And that that is a real thing. In fact, in scientific experiments, they often will do a control group um, because of the placebo effect, which is basically that if you, you know, they'll give you the sugar pill, which doesn't really do anything. And then another group will get the actual medicine. And the reason is because sometimes just taking something that you think is medicine makes you actually right. get better
0: well, what's you really know? funny is that people act like you know uh oh well it's placebo effect, so it's not real well their healing was real
1: right yeah and it's like yeah. what all that meant was that what caused the healing wasn't the medicine it was something else right and and so you know if we keep in mind that even in cold, hard reality there, you know, there is proof that what we believe matters and has an effect on things. I mean, just, you know, how you perceive what somebody says to you, you know, if you go like, oh, her tone of voice sounded like she doesn't like me, you know, what that's going to influence how you interact with that person versus if you thought that she was being really friendly you right. know, and so,
0: or that she was just having a bad day. and it had nothing Right, to do with exactly. Yeah. And
1: so, um, you know, just how we perceive, I mean, like take the whole thing with, um, right now in America and in lots of other places, there's this, um, you know, this group of people or certain people who want to become more insular and, you know, close off from immigrants and outsiders and, you know, the others that are destroying our society. And, you know, and that's, a perception that's in their head. I mean, the fact of the matter is we live in on this world where people are constantly interacting and sometimes people come from outside of our community and and cause hurt to the community. Sometimes people from inside the community cause hurt to the community, you know? And so it's like if we can understand that there's a lot going on and that oftentimes how we perceive things to be has as much effect on what's real as something that is
0: out right. there. Well, and it's one of those things that, you know, I spent years and years and years asking myself, like, does what you believe really matter, right? And usually this was in the context of religious beliefs, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> does, does what you believe really matter? Isn't it good enough to just be a good person? Um, and I started... You
1: mean in terms of if you believe in this religious tradition or if you believe right. in this God versus this God, or can you just be a good person and not believe in God? Is
0: that... Right. So this okay. sort of, like so it's Next usually couched of, within, yeah. with, you know, isn't it just good enough to be a good person? Right. Um, and so I started first seeing things in my meditation that helped me feel into this a little bit deeper and then experiencing things. And now I feel like on a societal level, like we're really getting ready to go into this. Right. Um, and the thing that I, the thing that I came to understand was that it's not beliefs attached to a particular religious structure. Right. But it is like whether or not you believe in light when all your senses and your faculties are telling you that there is only darkness and there will only be darkness. Mm-hmm. Right. Right in that situation what you believe totally dictates what happens afterwards right right? and um, for in the in the Narnia Chronicles right in the first book um, they're jumping in these different puddles to like travel to different worlds or whatever and they go into this one puddle and there's just darkness nothing but darkness and the cabbie begins to sing a hymn right? And as he begins singing this hymn and they join in with him, then this beautiful world starts being created around them and Aslan comes over the hill, right? The dawn begins to happen and Aslan comes over the hill. So this is where they meet Aslan. But had they been in that darkness and gotten afraid or imagined that there were terrible monsters in the darkness that they couldn't see... It would see have I mean? created that. It would have created that, right? right? So you, So you really see in that sort of I mean, it's a beautiful metaphor yeah. for for how this works and the way that our beliefs about people, about reality, about who we are, about why we're here, right? Those and whether or not we believe in light, when everything is telling us this is darkness, all there's going to be is darkness. The light's time is done. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, that really, that really does dictate. And it's interesting because we've been talking, like we realize that that uh, we started last the beginning of last November, right? So yeah, a little of the podcast, a year. yeah. And um and one of the stories I had told in that first episode was the Islamic story about Lucifer, mm-hmm. right? Um and how that story helps me stay in this place of light, right? Like, so uh, when Lucifer got cast out he swore that he was going to, in the Islamic version, he swore that he was going to show, he was going to prove to God that human beings were not worth the honor that mm-hmm. God had bestowed on them. This was his mission. Right. And so that story helps me pay attention to, like, am I sinking into a place where I start thinking, what is wrong with people, mm, right? Right. So um, if I get into that space, then I know that darkness, for me, that's an indicator that darkness is operating Mm. right and and the same thing like that story also if I view self-criticism or self self self-judgment and things like that through the lens of that story right same kind of thing like if I'm if oh I'm just this pos and I can't get it together and what you know what I mean like right then then I am I'm helping shaitan and his mission to <laughs> right. prove that that you're you know, know, not worthy. Right. That I'm not right. worthy. That human yeah. beings are not worthy. Yeah. So like, and I think now are it now is that time where those things are really being tested. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't read the article or listen to the interview, but I did see a headline that Michelle Obama had something about like, now we know what hopelessness feels like. Right. Um, and I, I need to go back and read it, I guess. But, uh, but I think now is the time where we have to, we have to really find that, right? Do we, do we really believe in the light? Do we really believe that there's another way of being in the world? Do we really believe that there's a new evolution dawning, right? And, and, and first we have to figure out, there's um, Janelle Monai has a song called Cold War, right? And in it she's saying do you know what you're fighting for, right? Like, this is a cold war. Do you know what you're fighting for? So that idea of, like, figuring out what it is that we really believe, what it is that we're working to build, what we want to send our our energy and our focus on, right? Like, mm-hmm. really getting clear about what those things are for us.
1: Yeah. And I think there's, you know, um, I've noticed that there's often, like, Of any concept, there's usually, like, a light side and a dark side. So, Mm. like, let's say, for instance, the desire to protect, right? So, you want to protect your family, your loved ones, your community, your country, you know. Um, But then that can also... Then the the dark side of that is saying, well, we're not going to let any outsiders in or we're going to go to war against these
0: people because, right. you know,
1: we think that well, they might Well, I think this is the thing us, we have to really you know? figure out what
0: it is we're trying to protect here. And I think that's a big part uh, of, like, recognizing, am I trying to physically protect? Is physical protection all I care about? Or am I looking to protect my aliveness? hmm Right? Right. And right. We, we have spent this time focusing on the interface and thinking that's the only reality focusing on the physicalness and thinking that's the only reality. And that's all we want to care. That's all we care about. It's like whether or not our bodies are still alive. Right. But like moving into the space, how, how do we talk? How do we act? How do we, what make are we decisions? protecting intellectually, spiritually? Right. Emotionally? Like if, if my focus then is to protect my soul, mm-hmm. if my, if my focus is to protect my aliveness, if my focus is to keep my heart soft and pliable and beating as opposed to this hard encrusted piece of coal, you know, right. like, like, how does that then impact how I do things? How yeah. does that... The
1: intention behind everything is really important. Right. And in fact, one thing I noticed, so I've been watching a lot of um, romance movies and television shows. I'm like on a romance kick right now. And, um, and I noticed something that was kind of disturbing at first is that in... these romantic dramas a lot of times and usually it's the guy the male character doing this they'll do like these these things that are really kind of stalkerish like I remember one time you know this guy's like wanting to talk to her and she's like no get away from me and he like grabs her and like pulls her to him and kisses him and I was like or kisses her, and I was like, you know, if I didn't know that those two people were, like, meant to be together and she is, like, misunderstanding, that would be, like, super like creepy yeah. and like yeah. and it's and but but of course in those dramas there's this assumption that like well but they're supposed to be together they're right. meant for each other you know so it's okay right. but I
0: think so that we don't pay attention <laughs> to like really bad signs like right that.
1: exactly we and
0: think like no it just means he loves me no he's like dominating and these are total perpetrators right yeah, yeah.
1: and yeah. so so there's um uh yeah I've noticed a lot of things like that where it's like okay that what that person just did or said could be, like, really okay or really bad, like, depending on how it was meant, depending on the intention behind it. And so I think that's something, it's one of those more sort of subtle things that
0: we have to be aware of. Well, I think even just recognizing, because our intentions, I mean, you know, this sort of idea of, like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Do you know what I mean? Like, Which I think is a a weird... But but I (laughs) I get it, right? Like, my intention is to let you see how much I love you, but I'm going to do it in this really narcissistic, perpetrator-dominating kind of way, right? right? Like, your your intention doesn't mean much at that point. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, these modes of behavior, and this is one of the things that I work with with clients a lot, right? Like, um, because if I've got single people coming to me that are looking to shift these, like, relationship patterns, Mm -hmm. right? The first thing for us to do is to help them see what the relationship patterns are. Right. And and recognize like dominating narcissistic perpetrator behavior for right. what it is instead of explaining away or viewing yeah. it through the rom com lens. You right. Know what I mean? And <laughs> and like recognizing that if that's the way people operate, right, then first of all, we need to get rid of this notion that we can change them. Like this is like total Mm -hmm. codependent craziness. Um, but to recognize that for what it is and test it to make sure, because we were complex beings and we always, you know what I mean? But, um, like one of the things that you can test it with is, uh, like if there's been a boundary violation, then you let someone know, like, you probably didn't mean it this way, but here's what happened. And like, you know, it's a crowded planet. We're bumping into each other all the time. So if somebody is healthy and they just bumped into you, right. Then they when cross the like, boundary without realizing. Exactly. It was a boundary. Right. And then you say, Oh, hey, you probably didn't realize this, but here's what just happened. Like a healthy Please person. Please don't do that again. Exactly, in the future, right. Like a healthy person that has a good sense of boundaries, that is respectful of you, that right, they will backpedal so fast. Right. <laughs> like, right. oh my God, it's totally not what I meant, you know. Like but if they start like telling you it wasn't that way or getting angry, you misinterpreted. At you,
1: it and why are you taking it so seriously?
0: Right. Yeah. Then you have problems.
1: Right. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's not my fault. It was your fault. Right. Oh yeah, I
0: got that one a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so so then we have problems, right? Yeah. Like so it's so it is like so the intention and they will say no that didn't happen because it wasn't my intention. Right. Yeah. Like no, but this is what is happening do right. you know what I'm saying so, yeah. so I think like recognizing those kind of behaviors and stuff But like, and that
1: reminds me of like something you kind of mentioned earlier too which is putting yourself in the shoes of someone else right trying to see their perspective and really since reality is apparently only a bunch of first person rivals. perspectives yeah. right um, uh, and, and I know this is something that has been really helpful in my life is putting myself in the other person's shoes and going okay you know, based on what I know of this person, you know, how are they going to react to this? You know, what's important to them? Um, and yeah, and, and just realizing that what other people want, what other people value um, is going to be different for them than it is for you. It's not always going to line up with what you want. And to not blame them or you for that and just sort of accept that, oh, They're a different person. They're a different place. Yeah.
0: Decide whether or not that's going to work.
1: Right. Well, I just meant looking at things from other people's points of view. I mean, what you choose to do with that information, of course, is um, you know can vary. And then, of course, there's always that danger of making assumptions, assuming that when you put yourself in their shoes, that you're accurately projecting where they're coming from, which isn't always the case. So it's this very sort of messy process of Understanding that you have your perspective, other people have their perspective, making the effort to try and understand where other people's are coming from and and then at the same time well, I think recognizing too, like, looking out for assumptions.
0: Right. But and I think too, like back to this idea of like what does it look like if evolution if we're moving to a space where evolution is driven by like protecting our aliveness versus Versus survival. Our, our physical survival, right? Um, now I've got the thing from beloved. <laughs> um, there's a place in the book where, um, she's been, she's left the plantation and she's been running through the, the woods and she, I think she doesn't have any shoes on. So her feet are cut, really cut up and bad. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and this woman comes by and helps her cause she starts having labor pains. Right. So this oh, woman comes God. in so and helps her. So she's pregnant
1: too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: She's running while she's pregnant. And, um, the woman set, the woman's rubbing her feet right mm-hmm. and and says anything coming back to life hurts mm. right And so I think this is one of the things to remember as well again because we have this like natural avoidance of pain right So like that feeling into the heart to make sure that it stays soft and beating, That, like, that means we have to face the pain and go through it to be able to do that. If we're avoiding the pain, then the heart closes down. And by the same sort of token, to protect our aliveness, right, then there's pain involved in that. Like, if you're, if you've been sitting a certain way and your leg falls asleep, (laughs) right, right, when that leg starts waking back up again, it hurts. Yeah. You know, And, and I think the heart and the spirit are the same way. Yeah. Like, if we've, if it's fallen asleep, then when it starts to wake up, it is going to hurt, right? Yeah. And so I think...
1: But it's only going to hurt for a little for while. For a little
0: while. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it And then you'll
1: be able to walk again.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but I think it's really, it's really important to know these kinds of things, right? So that we don't add more psychological pain... Right. ...on top of the pain of the process. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? And they're... I
1: think we have this sort of false sense of permanence, that we think mm. things are more permanent than they are, um, because we tend to assume that whatever we're feeling now is how we're going to feel for, forever in the moment. Oh, I'm going to feel this yeah. way forever. Um, and and it's really not. Yeah. And there was um, there was a quote from one of the shows I was watching, which was, um, all all good and bad things end. You know, everything is temporary. And if you're going through something bad, well, know that it's going to end and that your suffering is only temporary. And if you're going through a wonderful time, cherish it, because that's going to end too. too. (laughs) You know? And so uh, so that, I think that's a really good thing to realize is that being very present.
0: And being, yeah, and and allowing those, because I think this is one of the things that probably... One of the responses that bothered me the most uh, right after the, the election was people sort of judging or condemning people for for having grief, for feeling despair, oh. for right, um, and you know there were different ways people were like, "Oh, get over yourself, whatever." But then there were a lot of people like, "No, this is just this is part of our evolution, so it's all good." Like that. So what was part of our evolution? Just. The, you know, this the wiping. result of because, the election or well, people this, being this, upset? This idea, because if we're shifting, and we're in tower times, right? So, within the, the language and symbology of Tarot, um. The tower card is when systems that have been built on illusions crumble.
1: Oh, okay. Right?
0: So we are in tower times. And the tower has to crumble. The things, like, we talked about this too, right? Like this idea of Kali and the dark Mm -hmm. feminine. Like, she will remove anything that is false. She will remove the Mm. illusions. She will, right? And so uh, anything. Strip
1: away the house of cards. (laughs) Totally.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Like, anything we've been denying and not facing, like, we will be forced to face those things. And the things that we've been resting on. these Mm -hmm. inventions that we've made right are going to be those are going to be pulled out from underneath us so yes it's part of the process yes things tumble and crumble before we can build the new thing up right Mm -hmm. um but to like we don't know how long it's going to take to do this do you what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like when you're like sitting on the hill looking at the city like Time operates in this different way. So, like, you can see the whole process and, like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, this is the bold, dark s- stroke in the canvas, or <laughs> this is the symbol clash in the symphony. But it's a very different experience to be in the middle of that dark, bold brush. It's a different experience to be the bee that got caught between the symbols. Do you know what right. I'm saying? So, yeah. um, like, uh, and and denying denying that means that that we are we're actually it feels like we're inhibiting that next move forward, right? Because it is it is a painful process, yeah. And to pretend like it's not a painful process, right? Right? Or to shame people for feeling pain in a painful process, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like oh, you're not spiritual enough because you're not all at peace about this. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like. Yeah. Like being
1: spiritual means you never feel anything extreme or you never feel anything except joy and love. And- right. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> like,
0: Cause being human means we have all those things. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. Like just recognizing that that's part of the process and, 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 and figuring out like really sitting, I think it's really important for us to sit down and think about what does it look like? Right. Like, uh, when I would ask nature, how, how do you put in a new system, right? How do you not create a vacuum? And I think we've talked about this on the show before. It's something that you see in Game of Thrones, for example, right? Like these, these, sh- these power grabs and these shifting systems and stuff like this. And when there's a vacuum, then...
1: All these people rush in
0: to try and oh, yeah. claim it. Oh, yeah. Like you get... Right. Stuff that's worse than what you're pulling away, right? Right. So like noticing that this is like a physical, like a laws of physics reality, right? Not a physical reality, but a laws of physics reality. Like, so how do you what what do you do? So I was asking nature, like, okay, well, how do you do this? Like, how do you right? And I just kept getting visions of like how you you build the thing first that you want and that's what you're focusing on and mm-hmm. eventually the thing that is no longer viable isn't getting enough resources to maintain
1: uh, and it and dries up and flourishes. blows away and then right.
0: you right so so it really is about the only way to make sure there's not a vacuum right because i think what we try to do is like this indiana jones switch the the gym for the sandbag. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. And we think like, oh, I got it, you know. Yeah. And then, and then the boulder comes, right? right? So like, so 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 the thing to do is to already have that there, so that because right. even the fastest switchover Switch. is going to create a vacuum, and vacuums mm-hmm. are powerful, right? So, like. Um, really, so that's why, like this, I, I feel this need to call people to really focus on what is it that we want to create, and that's the thing that we need to be focusing on and nurture than... that
1: on a on a small level for now, right? It, so that it can eventually grow into something right. much because bigger. Because there's been
0: a lot of work done on it, right? So right. I think this is where the the fear and the despair and the hopelessness is coming from is because it looks like. All these looks like evil we, has won right it looks like <laughs> all these things we have worked so hard for are just going to be obliterated right. right and and it's easy enough to look in history and see places where that happened right right there there were matriarchal societies there were there were societies that lived without war for a thousand years right wow. like there's we have this idea that like oh no well war and conflict is what drives civilization well anthropologists have discovered that there was a society that lived a thousand years without war and they wow. they had extensive trade so they weren't insulated right right huh. so um so so these perceptions that we have like oh well this is just part of how it works Human here nature right exactly war, right and or that you know well women have never been in power right well what happens is women are in power and then the And then the empire afterwards erases the historical (laughs) records. Of them being empire. Right, 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 exactly. exactly. So we continue with this idea that, well, this is just the way it always has been. And so I think people are rightfully afraid that this stuff is going to get wiped out and that all this work that we've done to make this more inclusive society, to to realize that dream of people being... um, Handled, treated, talked to, whatever, like on the basis of their character and their internal, internal self, right, mm-hmm. as opposed to these superficial external things, right. Um, and and so, that only has to disappear if we, if we believe that it's disappeared and allow right. it to disappear, right. Like, right. So. Thinking about what does it look like for us to keep that alive? What does it look like for us to continue to build that? Even though big boogeyman over here is saying, I'm going to tear down your your Lincoln logs or whatever. it is? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 So glad that you could join us today. And we are here to start a conversation, not be the conversation. So we would love to have you join us uh, around the digital campfire. Uh, You can come to the Facebook page. Find Kitchen Table Alchemy, the group, um, and that's a great place to connect with other people, uh, talk about what we've been talking about, also to find out where our next pop-up podcast is going to be. And Pinterest, find us on Pinterest. So that article that you were looking for that you've scrolled through and you can't find it, it's probably on the Pinterest board. So uh, go find the Kitchen Table Alchemy group over on Pinterest.
1: And for the latest episodes, you can go to our website, kitchentablealchemy.com, or you can subscribe through iTunes.
0: And that way it's downloaded automatically. You don't have to remember anything. That's, that's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, we've loved having you. Y'all come back now you're here. <laughs>